before I get started, I just wanted to say that I truly thought I was going to win the car. <laughs> I'd just like to think that everyone would have been so happy for me, and it didn't happen. There's always next year, though. Um, would like to reiterate what John said. Next Sunday, uh, 5 o'clock, we'll be doing a fish fry. Um, love to see everybody there. It'll be a great time. And uh, we're so excited to be able to do this. Just a, a great fellowship event for us to just have a meal together as a church. And so um, I hope you can come with us on Sunday and uh, next week. And it'll be great. We'll be in John chapter 15 this morning. Verses 6 through 11. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word, words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And the Father, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will, will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, and that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let us pray. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, this beautiful day that we have to come together to worship you and to praise your great name and to sing your praise and to hear your word. And Lord, we pray for our time today that we be pointed to you and to your truth. Lord, we do continue to pray for the Coffin family as they mourn June's passing this week. Lord, in this time, we pray that you would lift them up and be near to them in the time of mourning and grieving. Lord, we continue to pray for Bruce Risto, who's on the mend and recovering from COVID. Lord, he means, him and Pam mean so much to this church. And we thank you for the reports that he's doing better. And just continue to pray for uh, a speedy recovery for Bruce. <laughs> Lord, we pray for this young man, Corey Moore, who's from a nearby community, who's in the Marines, who's currently in Afghanistan. And Lord, we pray for his safety. Lord, we pray for the safety of especially the vulnerable people in Afghanistan, women and children. Lord, the worlds have been turned upside down in the last couple of weeks. We pray for them, Lord. 
We pray for Christians and for churches in that nation who are now under extreme duress and threats. Lord, for those people, we pray for your protection. And in the spite of oppression and persecution, Lord, we pray that your gospel can still be spread in that nation and that the Christians who are in that country can be witnesses to the goodness and truth of the gospel. Lord, we pray for our time in your word again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Should we switch to the pulpit mic? Can you hear me? All right, I can hear myself, so we're good. John chapter 15, this passage is pretty unique in the Gospel of John. In this section, Jesus is talking about what life will be like for his followers after he's gone. And it's unique not because it's a passage that's not, for the most part, what the Gospel of John is talking about. We've been in John off and on for two years. And most of the passages in John revolve around Christ's glorification on the cross or around the eternal life, which is through Jesus, or the love that God and that Jesus have for the world, the love that they have for each other, the love that they call for us to have for each other. Another common theme in the Gospel of John is the relationship of the Father and the Son, with the Holy Spirit also playing a significant role in this Gospel, as we see the three persons of the Trinity actively working together in the process of our salvation. It's a Christocentric book. It's a God-focused book. It's a Trinitarian book. It's a gospel book. In other words, the gospel of John is primarily about Jesus. It is not primarily about us. But in our passage this morning from John 15, and on the eve of Jesus going to the cross, Jesus will talk about the implications of a new life, which will be lived by all who believe in him, through him and because of him. And before we get into our passage, I want to make just one more point. The key word in this passage this morning is a word that is used over and over again in John chapter 15. Abide. In the first 11 verses of chapter 15, Jesus says it 10 times. Abide in me, Jesus says. And I think that's worth mentioning just because abide is one of those really churchy words that we don't typically use in everyday conversation. But to abide in Jesus is to do life through Jesus. It is to remain in Jesus. It is to live in accordance with Jesus. And in this passage today, I want to look at four assurances that we have of abiding in Christ. And I should say at the beginning before I... uh, get into these four things that I got this list from Richard Phillips, who's a pastor in South Carolina. Um, His commentary on John I have read regularly as we've studied this book. And it's pretty rare that this happens, but I looked at how he had outlined this passage this morning, and I thought, there's no way to improve upon that. That's perfect. And so uh, 
Dr. Phillips put this list together of four things that we see when we abide in Christ. And with that, we'll jump right into our passage this morning. First point, abiding in Christ delivers us from judgment. Look at verse 6. Jesus says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus had used a metaphor of a grapevine, and he's still using that metaphor in this first verse where he talks about branches withering and being thrown away and burned. As a reminder, John chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus had said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And then again in verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So Jesus uses this powerful imagery to point to himself as the source of life. He is the true vine, referring to grapevines. And life is found on that vine. Life is found in being part of the vine and growing on the vine and receiving our nutrients from the vine. So in our passage, when Jesus says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Again, the image of a grapevine, that at the end of the grape harvest, fruitless branches would be cut off the vine and thrown away. That is what Jesus is alluding to here. And Jesus is talking about a specific type of person. He's talking about a person who's part of the church, who's within the church, within the group of believers, within the vine that is Jesus, but who's not actually bearing fruit on the vine because they're not actually alive on the vine. And they never truly were. Most obviously, this is a reference to Judas. We're in John 15, and John 13 is when Judas had left Jesus in order to betray him. And again, John chapter 12 through the end of 17 is all one night in Jesus' life. So it's just a couple hours before. Now, Judas might have been the first person to disingenuously follow Jesus, but he's not the last And I talk about this because it's an important warning to the church. That there are frauds. That there are people in churches who say that they're Christians, who profess to be believers, but who are not really walking with Jesus. Who don't really know Jesus. Who don't really believe in the gospel and who have not been born again. And while those people can fool a church or fool a pastor, or fool their spouse, it will not fool the Lord. Where is your hope? Is it in the blood of Christ that cleanses us of our sins? Is it in his death that he died to sin so that we could have life through him? Is it in that and nothing else? If you want to rely on yourself, if your hope is in your goodness... And that is why you believe God will accept you because you were good. Then your faith is not really in Jesus. 
Your faith is in yourself. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks of the people in the community who were active participants within the church community, within the religious community of his disciples, but who were not genuine believers. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It is faith in Jesus and the life in him that matters. And my point is not to make believers doubt. But the point of this is to make the person who doesn't believe in the saving work of Christ and who doesn't believe in that alone to question where their faith and hope and assurance are found. For the person who abides in Christ and for the person who abides in Christ alone, you are delivered from God's judgment. And the reason for that is because of what Christ has done. That we are sinners, but Jesus redeems and forgives us our sins when we have faith in him. Being a Christian in name only, but not actually believing in Jesus, counts for nothing. It is Jesus who justifies and forgives when we come to him as Lord and Savior. I was reading about Kobe Beef this week. If you're not familiar, Kobe is somewhat of the holy grail of beef. True Kobe beef has rigorous standards of marbling. It's a specific type of cow from a specific part of Japan to truly be Kobe beef. And I would wager to say that probably nobody in this room has ever had authentic Japanese Kobe beef. A 2016 report by Inside Edition found that there were only eight restaurants in the entire United States that sold Kobe. It's not sold in retail. When I used to work at the Cheesecake Factory, on their menu they had a burger called the Kobe Burger. It wasn't. <laughs> There's the upscale steakhouse McCormick and Schmicks, which used to advertise Kobe steaks, which were not from Japan, but were from Kentucky. Class action lawsuit, they changed the menu. Restaurants and grocers have tried to call things Kobe beef that aren't. And my point is this. Just because you say something is something doesn't make it so. Just because you say something is Kobe beef doesn't make it that. Again, it has to be the right type of cow, the right region, the right standards. Anything else is inauthentic. A person can say that they're a Christian. But if they do not have faith in Jesus, if he is not the Savior in whom they have placed their hope, and they don't believe that he died for them and rose from the dead, that is not Christianity, regardless of what you call it. But the person who believes in Jesus and who abides in Christ is delivered from God's judgment. Second point. Abiding in Christ leads to power in prayer. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
This verse exalts both prayer and the word of God. For the person who abides in Jesus, who lives in him, lives for him, believes in him, and his word abides in you, he says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now that verse sounds very familiar to something we talked about a few weeks ago in John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, when Jesus said, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And when we talked about that verse a few weeks ago, we made the same point that bears repeating again in chapter 15. Is Jesus saying that if we just ask for a new house or ask to win the car at Old Settlers, that as long as we ask in faith, we'll just have it? Of course not. He's saying that if we abide in him and his word abides in us, we can ask for whatever we wish. That if a person has truly embodied the word of God in their heart and mind, that that person is not going to be asking for frivolous things. The word in you. Now, if somebody from the church walked up to you and said, could you keep me in my prayers? And you're like, yeah. Is there something specific? And they said, yeah. I'm really praying that God would give me a yacht. Let's be honest. You wouldn't even waste your time praying for that. You'd think, I can't ask God for it. God, like, that will hurt my own credibility. We've all heard prayer requests before. That No, I'm not going to pray for that. That's ridiculous. It would show a level of spiritual immaturity. But then there's the person who has the word of God abiding in them. For that person, the Bible is their God. It is the lamp unto your feet. It's your source of truth. It's the wisdom of God. It's the living word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. The person who knows it's God's word. Is the Bible that for you? I don't have slides for these, but Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. The word of God is eternal. Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And James calls us to put the word into action. James chapter 1, verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And in our fallen world, it is the word which is meant to be our bedrock that points us to truth. When the Apostle Paul talks about the armor of God in Ephesians 6, he calls the word a sword. That the word is our weapon to go to battle with because it is the very word of God. Ephesians 6.17 says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Again, is God's word that for you? Your truth, your light, your sword. On Friday at June's funeral, we heard some amazing stories about this amazing man's life. And Wayne, I'm going to borrow your story that you shared about when you were younger and you would come home and he'd be sitting at his chair and 
have his Bible open and all sorts of other books or commentaries or study Bibles or Warren Wearsby books, studying God's Word. And I shared the story last week about the last time I visited June last Saturday. Ruby handed me his Bible to read from. and Looking through it, he easily had thousands of notes he had written in that book. He was a man who had the Word of God abiding in him. It was the great 19th century preacher, Charles Spurgeon, who said, A Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to a person who isn't. And when Jesus talks about abiding in him and says, Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The point of that is that the more the word is in us, then the more we are able to discern and to pray with wisdom and the more we are able to abide in what the Lord wills because we know that it is good. In this passage, the blending of the prayers of a person in whom the word is abiding shows a person who lives with a true intimacy with Christ, where they can truly look to Christ and pray as he taught saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. The Lord's prayer is not a prayer of get everything you want, but hallowing the name of our great God and praying for his kingdom while trusting in his provision. Abiding in Christ and his word abiding in us. In this commentary of the Gospel of John, Grant Osborne says, Our prayer life is a reflection of that union with him. And the implication is that our prayers will not be self-centered, but will seek God's glory. Our prayer life is a reflection of our relationship with God. Now all of that is easier said than done. But that is a picture of genuine faith and trust in the Lord. Ed Dobson was a popular pastor in Grand Rapids who was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease in 2000. At the time, he was given a life expectancy of between two to five years. And much of that time, he would be disabled. In his book, Seeing Through the Fog, Dobson talks about inviting a pastor friend to pray for him. The friend was a Pentecostal preacher who had encouraged Dobson with stories of other healings that he had seen and witnessed, people he had prayed for who had been healed. But in the book, Dobson tells of how this friend also gave him an important piece of advice. He said, don't become obsessed with being healed, Ed. If you get obsessed with getting healed, you will lose your focus. Get lost in the wonder of God. And who knows what he will do for you. Dobson says, this is some of the best advice I've ever received. Since that night, I've been trying to get and to stay lost in the wonder of God. Diagnosed in 2000, Dobson died in 2015. A third assurance of abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ glorifies the Father. Verses 8 through 10. Looking first at verse 8. 
Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. By this my Father is glorified. The this is what follows in the verse and the following verses. God is glorified when we bear much fruit and so prove to be his disciples. Bearing fruit brings glory to God. And Jesus will continue to elaborate on what that looks like. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. D.A. Carson points out that the relationship of Jesus and God shows us a paradigm for how us as Christians are to relate to Christ. Again, the love that the Son has for the Father gives us a picture of the love that we are called to have for Jesus. And really that's explicit in verse 9. Jesus has loved us as the Father has loved him. And as a result of that love we have for Christ, we are called to remain, to abide, in his love. But how do we do that? We see the answer in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. True discipleship to Jesus results in obedience to Jesus. Jesus points to his own example as one who perfectly kept the commandments of God the Father. Jesus lived a perfect life. He lived in perfect obedience and submission to God. And we, too, are called to that. Is your life bringing glory to God? It's an important question because that is so often not what the world values. We like to glorify ourselves, live for ourselves, what we like, what we want. We like to affirm decisions and tell each other that we're fine, that we're okay, that we're doing okay, that we're good. Our world tells people to find what makes you happy, find yourself, find your truth. But what about when that does not comport with the will of God? What about when that is disobedient to God's commands? If we begin by looking at ourselves, we will get off track. We must begin by looking at God. Oftentimes, again, in an affirming world that just likes to tell everyone that they're okay and they're doing okay, what happens is we respond by inventing a God who is okay with whatever it is that we want to do. It is true that God is a God of love. But when we just affirm and accept everything that everyone does and call that love and pass that off that God is a God of love, In the process of doing that, of playing that game, we lose sight of the main point of life, which is bringing glory to God. Yes, God is a God of love, and he loves us in spite of our sin, but that does not mean it's an excuse and a justification to sin and to live for ourselves. We're called to live for God and for his glory. 
In Romans chapter 11, verse 36, Paul says, From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. We exist for God's glory. In the Westminster Catechism, the first question is, What is the chief end of man? And the response, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, hopefully we see that as a good thing. That true life and true living is found in living for and enjoying God Almighty. The all-wise, all-good creator of the universe. There is no runner-up in life to that. Anything else is a pittance compared to knowing God. Nothing else brings the true joy that God wants us to enjoy. Nothing else gives us the true peace that God wants us to experience. That living for God is good. I used this example one time on a Sunday night, but I think it's one of my favorites. What is your view of living for God? In Greek mythology, they told the story of the sirens, these mythical, beautiful, half-woman, half-bird creatures. They would sing this beautiful song and lure ships in, into the rocks and their destruction, through their temptation. In the Odyssey by Homer, Odysseus wants to hear the siren song, but he doesn't want a ship to crash on the rocks. And so he has his men put wax in their ears so that they're unable to hear the song. For Odysseus, he has the men tie him to the mast of the ship so he can hear the song but not go to the sirens. Both for Odysseus and for the sailors, they created mechanisms to force them not to be lured to the sirens. I think that's how we often view living for God. Like it's really difficult and we just need to force ourselves and white knuckle it through. And we don't really get to do a lot of the things that we like or want to do. We just have to kind of put up with it. What's really good is what the sirens have, but we need to force ourselves to avoid that. It's the wrong view. That view will lead to a joyless Christian life and be exhausting along the way. There's another story in Greek mythology that tells us about the sirens. In the voyage of the Argo, we learn of another ship that passes by. They've been warned about the dangers of the sirens and their beautiful song, the temptation that the music poses. But before they get near to the sirens, the legendary mythological musician Orpheus pulls out a stringed lyre and begins to play a song that drowns out the sirens. A song that's even more beautiful. Again, we too often have too low a view of God's goodness and glory and what God desires for us. That there's nothing good that God is keeping from us. That is why we must abide in Christ and have the word abiding in us. God has a more beautiful song for us. And when we realize God's goodness and glory and majesty, when we truly look to that and see that what the sirens have isn't worth having, that God is good and he has a better way. 
if we're always just trying to will for ourselves to do good things, again, that's exhausting. What we must instead realize is that God gives something better, a more beautiful song. Again, our society can have a negative view of living in accordance with what the Bible teaches. As if God's purpose is to take away our fun, take away our enjoyment. But it's anything but that. Living a life for God's glory is where true joy is found. Fourth point. This is closely related to the third. Abiding in Christ brings joy. Verse 11. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus takes joy in his disciples. What a great thought that is, that we bring joy to our Lord. Jesus has said these things so he can take joy in us, and also so that our joy may be full. Again, the fourth point relates to the third point. Jesus has not said these things and talked about glorifying God through obeying God to bring us under moral tyranny. It is to point us to joy and glorifying the Lord. And from everything that Jesus has said in this passage, through abiding in him, through praying through him, through his word being in us, through bearing fruit and through bringing glory to God, through all of that, there is joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, Paul says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, to rejoice in all things. In Philippians 4, Paul again calls us to rejoice. God wants us to have joy, but the truest source of joy comes from Christ. We should be the most joyful people in town. Our joy should stand out. Joy in the Lord and what Christ has done for us. We aren't called to be Charlie Brown Christians. In the classic Christmas movie, Charlie Brown Christmas, Charlie Brown is struggling to get into the spirit of the holiday. When Linus says to him, Charlie Brown, you're the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. What are the things that rob us of joy? Sin robs us of joy. We might have fun in our sin, but sin can never fulfill the longings of the human soul. There is no joy in sin. Worry robs us of joy. And I'll be honest, I'm a worrier. It's hard to feel joy when you're worried and stressed. Abide in Christ. 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us to cast our anxieties on the Lord. There are no shortage of things that we can worry about in our world, especially if you watch the news. And it's hard. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about worry, and he asks his disciples, if worrying about tomorrow will add a single hour to your life. If anything, the opposite happens. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We'll have what we need. Is that truly our first focus in our times of stress and worry and fear? Is Jesus our rock 
And those are just a couple of examples of things that steal our joy. There are no shortage of idols in the world that will give us promises of greater fulfillment and happiness, greater purpose and meaning. Family can do that. Careers can do that. Accomplishments can do that. Those things aren't bad. But they do not deliver the life and soul-sustaining joy that only our glorious God can give. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says, God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel of our spirits we're designed to burn, or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. True purpose and meaning are only found in Christ. And through abiding in Jesus, we have a God who cares about his own glory and who cares about our joy. God wants us to be joyful people because of what he has done. So very briefly, let's consider this whole passage. Four assurances of abiding in Christ. When we abide in Christ, he delivers us from judgment. Or said more positively, he redeems us. He leads us in powerful prayer. It glorifies God and it brings joy. That is what we have when we abide in Christ. And apart from Christ, we have none of those things. What a great Savior we have. And what a great blessing we can enjoy in experiencing life through Christ. What are you living for? A lot of people live for themselves. Jesus calls us to live for him and abide in him. May we be a church of people who are saved by the blood of Christ, who are walking with Christ, who are learning from Christ, and who are living for Christ to the glory of God. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your Son and the salvation that he brings. Lord, may we be a people so full of joy and your grace that our light shines to the world, to all around us. May we be salt and light. In Jesus' name, amen.